0: You get a table, you order your drink, you listen to the sounds of the bar, and soak in the conversation. Welcome to the TNE Speakeasy with your hosts, Caleb and Eric. Listen in as they discuss a variety of topics, such as Dune 2021. Wes Anderson's career and vacations.
1: Um, so you want to talk about Dune for a second? Oh yeah, Dune. Yep. Would you like to know about Dune? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you saw it. Um, was it just the once so far? I saw it once at the theater in the IMAX for the whole experience and then I've... I've watched through most of it again, not completely, but mostly, at, at home again, since it's on HBO Max in the United States. Um, and so that's it so far. Yeah, so I
0: know in your first viewing, kind of like me, you had some kind of hesitation with it. Uh, what was that about?
1: Oh, I had no hesitation going in. Uh, except for the fact, only a little hesitation in that, of course I knew it was a part one of two for just the first book mm. so there was that oh man it's, it's not going to be complete but it wasn't that big a deal in my head and, but that's about it i mean i was all in i've been waiting for this movie to release for years i mean even before the pandemic started I've been waiting for this movie for years
0: yeah i just meant it. it seemed like you had some like not hesitation going in but after the first viewing like oh i'm not quite sure what i think yet
1: oh, okay now that's true that yes after the fact yes or yeah because my very very initial thought like when lights came up in the movie theater and, and it was over my very initial thought was um, it doesn't make sense now but I was, I th- cause I was thinking what am I going to tweet and I tweeted something like, like that was the worst five star movie I've ever seen or the worst 5 star movie experience I've ever had (laughs) Um, because I do think the movie is 5 stars um, Mm -hmm. but yet it didn't feel like it because usually when I see any movie I consider 5 stars I am jazzed as all can be and I was not jazzed Mm -hmm. at all like that even though I felt like it was as good a film as it could be for being the first half of the first book
0: yeah, do you think some of that some of that feeling comes from like a connection to the source material or
1: I think it's not that I'm necessarily so wedded or bound to the David Lynch version as much as it's I just I think I know the story too well for just the first book. I know the plot points too well to where there's very little surprises there were a little surprises, like tiny, because there are alterations mm-hmm. um, compared to the book, but they're not massive alterations, um, just like little things. Um, so those little things are surprising, but they're not not—they're not usually impactful. Um, so, in another way, I can't remember if I said this to you or to somebody else. Oh, I think it was somebody else. I said... It gets really hard for me to enjoy this movie because... If I compare it to the Lord of the Rings trilogy of movies... This is like... The first half of Fellowship of the Ring. It's like we just got to Rivendell... In Fellowship. And then the movie ends like 10 or 15 minutes after getting to Rivendell. And then just thinking, holy shit, like... We're barely one-sixth of the way into this trilogy at that point. And that's how I feel at the end of Dune. Like, holy shit. Like, we just got to Rivendell. But I want to get into the Mines of Moria. I want to get into all this other stuff. And coupled with the fact that the sequel was not confirmed at the time, I was just like, oh Hmm. my god. Is this going to be it? This is going to be the most horrible tease of film ever if if this is all that ever gets made, um, in this series, like, oh, God. So that was another thing. I probably had some, um, apprehensive something. Um, appreh, I, I don't know. Apprehensive doubt. I don't know that don't even try to like this cause this could be it. Um, mm. so there was a lot of that too.
0: Yeah, when I went to go see the movie, I think it was the same day you did on, on Saturday.
1: hmm
0: uh, A friend of mine had been, like, following it pretty closely, and, and she knew, like, oh, they'd already secured a sequel thanks to uh, how well it had done in Europe. So I was like, oh, okay, at least I
1: can go in knowing that we're going to get the second part. Mm, I, I don't know where they heard that, because I only saw it, I get um, officially confirmed, like, maybe Wednesday-ish after that Saturday. It's the first time I saw the news break. Uh, Oh, interesting. Yeah, she seemed pretty
0: convinced, but... but... And she follows that stuff a lot closer than I do in terms of the uh, production stuff, so I was like, okay, sure. But, yeah, I, I also walked out of it feeling kind of like, that was a great movie, but I have no clue how I feel about it. But, it was definitely the best of the adaptations, but...
1: There's no doubt about... There's no doubt about that. Um... I thought it curious that, uh, well, it's not that curious, but we, um, not that we had to. We never saw like a, um, what are they called? Uh, a Spice Navigator. Not that we had to. Mm-hmm. Um, the Mentats were never fully explained. And even though you saw them do what they were doing, you wouldn't know what they were doing. Or you wouldn't fully understand mm-hmm. them unless you had read the books, and that was an interesting choice. Um,
0: that was actually part of my biggest complaint walking out, is they left out the entirety of the Butlerian Jihad, which was one of my favorite aspects of Dune. And so I was like, that should be in the sequel, because otherwise the universe doesn't fully make sense without it. So
1: I think that if this ends up being a franchise, and not just part one, part two, but more than that, I think that stuff will come out in time. Because i think i don't know my hunch is that vienna wave is treating this as if one day there will be six or six plus films and this is just like the star wars 1977 which is Mm. we're just getting you into this world we're world building but we're just scratching the surface there's no need for us to show you the emperor there's no reason to show crescents. There's no reason to explain like the Jedi Academy. Like all, like no, like you know. Well, you'll learn more about that. You know, six movies in. I think that's what the deal is with not getting into really explaining things. Um, because I suspect in due time. Um, I did like how quickly they get from well at first i thought damn it they're never gonna even land on arrakis um the atreides (laughs) which made me think oh my god if it takes this long for this to happen like is the movie gonna end with like during the attack and i was like oh my god like that's that's gonna seem like like there's even more of a wait to get to the end of the first book if that's where the movie cuts Mm. off Cause I was almost afraid that was going to happen when I was in the theater. Um, like we'd be mid attack and the movie would end. i be like, oh my god. Um, but I like, but once they finally do get to Arrakis, it is very quick from the time they get to Arrakis to where the Harkonnens attack. So I did like that. I mean, it was really fast. It was much faster than the other two versions. Uh, once okay. they get to Arrakis, because as soon as they get there. It doesn't take long for them to go check out the uh, the Harvester, and then immediately after the Harvester business, the Harkonnens are already attacking. Like, it makes it seem like they've barely been on Arrakis for only one or two days. Um, yep. But I, I liked it for the speediness of just the movie going experience, because there's plenty more to do.
0: Um, yeah, I did think it was a shame that they left out that dinner scene. That was always one of my favorite aspects of the book. And I just... Thought it was a real shame to lose that but uh, i i get it for pacing reasons it would really and, and they kind of dropped a lot of the political intrigue so it wouldn't have really been the movie they made
1: i think for now yeah and again we don't see or meet the emperor or his daughter which i think again i think it's going back to my star wars reasoning um so i can understand that it's also curious that we haven't met Fade yet, and I'm, I'm assuming it's by design, and that it's just for something new to reveal in the second movie, I think. Um, cause I don't, cause some people are wondering, is that what it is, or is he gonna be completely cut out? I don't think he'll be completely cut out. Um, to guess.
0: yeah, I couldn't imagine them doing that. That would be a really weird choice.
1: Um, Another regret, along with the the Mentats being not really explained and, and not really having much impact because Piter was one of my favorite things in the David Lynch version and, and he's he feel, he's barely in the movie and he's already done away with like so quickly. Um. Yeah, again, that's kind of them
0: leaving out the whole Mentat element. But yeah, you mentioned the, the Lynch version a couple times here. Mm-hmm. And i guess i don't know your opinions on that film are you were you a fan of that one or
1: yeah uh i have always loved oh, okay. that movie pretty much uh and the extended version as well even more so perhaps even though david lynch disowns owns the extended version um the david lynch cut which is the one that was recently released in 4k yeah I, i'm used to watching the long version and it feels like it feels way too short <laughs> I'm not used to watching the theatrical director's cut. It's 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 far too swift overall. Um, and it goes really fast. Like, yeah, I've only ever seen that cut. the theatrical one. Mhm. Yep. Oh my gosh, you are super missing out. I've never had the stomach
0: to sit through the 3-hour one. Oh
1: my god. No, 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 no. Oh, I don't know. No, no, no. no. <laughs> In my opinion, it's like it's like comparing one of the good lord of the rings movies to its extended cut like 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 all the extended scenes like really make the movie better wait so so have you never seen the intro on the extended cut the first like eight minutes of the movie um is that with like
0: is that with like iran's face just on the screen or is that i think that's in the theatrical no no no
1: that's a theatrical that's a Mm -hmm. theatrical
0: the note. Yeah, I've only seen the one on the disc that I've got.
1: Oh my god. When I was a when I was a kid, I love the intro of the um the extended cut. It was um it's done with still paintings. Um and they're all really good, or yeah, I guess. Uh still paintings and it's it's more akin to uh, the opening of uh, Fellowship of the Ring. Um Hmm. with it, it's uh even though it's not done exactly the same um it's very similar there's like a whole eight minutes of setting up the world and the backstory and it's a lot of information you do not get at all in the uh lynch cut and it, and it explains the butlerian jihad and all that other stuff and the origins of the guild and the mentats and the And oh i love it i'm sure it's on youtube somewhere Oh well, that
0: definitely helped um, yeah that movie feels like cliff notes the movie with terrible I I mean I I can't stand that movie to be honest (laughs) I've never been able to even before I read the book I i love it. it
1: and then the other thing with the theatrical cut once the movie once Paul and Jessica meet up with the Fremen and he gets to know Chani the movie just zooms through the rest of the book at incredible speed it's insanity and that's not cool but I still love the movie overall. Yeah, another another thing I've
0: always struggled with that movie is like they get like all the pronunciations wrong to me, <laughs> and I just can't stand, especially like Harkonnens, they say, and I'm like oh every, every time they say it, it like grates on me, and yeah, Chani, or there's a couple other ones. So all that stuff it just, but I'm too close to the book. It, it's my favorite book. I read it every year, and yeah, that that movie's always just been like a sore spot for me. I always said that the miniseries was. And that's the
1: other thing. I've never been able. I've never been able to read past the first book. Um, And my only experience with anything other than the first book is the continuation of the miniseries, which I also didn't fully understand. But then again, I haven't watched it (laughs) uh, again since it came out on DVD um, Children of Dune. Oh,
0: wow. Yeah, you're definitely. I mean, if, if you love that first book, I mean, you're missing out on a whole... That second, Dune Messiah, is kind of like the third... Or I guess it'd be the fourth book? Because I think the the first one's sp- split into three books. That one is basically just like the tag-on that was released as a separate novel, but should have been released as the last like section of it. But, yeah, I've, I've owned that second part to the miniseries, but never watched it. <laughs> never watched it? You mean Children of Dune? Yeah, I've had it on disc for I don't know how many years. Yep, I've never never sat through it. That's very strange. I started it and just turned it off and never finished it for whatever reason.
1: I mean, again, it's been ages since I've watched both, but the first miniseries feels like they're going through everything in the book and, you know, at their own slow pace. Mm-hmm. Whereas Children of Dune, it definitely has a much faster pace and they're not going through everything anymore. Um, but I don't know. I don't know how I feel. I have to watch it again. I have it all here. Those original DVDs. I have to watch that again. Um, but I liked all the casting, um, pretty much. I, uh, they changed kinds of gender. That's neither here nor there. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't affect anything one yeah. way or the other. Um, liked all the vehicles, Oh. Even though I love the vehicles in the Lynch one as well, but I love all these new ones. Of course, the cinematography was all there. Yeah. I didn't know how I felt about the Hans Zimmer score initially while watching it the first time, but it, it didn't. I didn't particularly love it at first when I was in the movie theater, but I guess I've thought about it more, reflected on it more, and and maybe it's mind over matter but I'm appreciating it more in retrospect. Even though it's mostly, like, ethereal, like, there's n- there's not any particular themes, except for maybe, like, one track on the soundtrack. It's more just, a, like, mood music or something.
0: I was actually going to point out, on my first viewing, yeah, I didn't notice, notice the score at all, but on my second viewing, I actually came to really appreciate it. Besides the vocals that you were just about to mention, I found the vocals a little obnoxious. Um...
1: The Betta Jester one, when they're saying literally Betta I was like, oh, okay, that's a little bit much. Like, it would be weird. Like, I know Hans Zimmer did, like, the Man of Steel soundtrack. It'd be like if there was, like, mm-hmm. a song where Superman was about to fly for the first time, and it would be weird if there was voices going, Superman, Superman, Superman. Like, <laughs> that would be really weird. Yeah. But <laughs> the Sadikar priest chanting, that stuff is pretty cool. <laughs> You don't like it? I thought that was pretty cool. No, I do like it, but I find it off-putting.
0: Especially when it started with that. And like, everyone in the theater laughed. In my theater. Because <laughs> no one knew what the fuck was happening.
1: Oh, that that was not the reaction. That was not the reaction. I thought it was interesting at the theater I watched it at. It was a full, full house at, at the IMAX, of course. But um, I thought it was interesting because... The audience reaction. Because everyone... It, I felt like... I don't know, this is my racist statement of the day, but um, I felt like I was part of a Japanese audience um, because everyone was stone-cold quiet the whole entire movie, and then when the credits came up, like people started clapping, and I was like, oh, wow. Oh. I was like, people liked it. I, I had no idea. I didn't know what people were thinking in the theater because everyone was just silent the whole time, and then clap, 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 clap. Um, oh, that's funny. And and it's been a while. Uh, Honestly, off the top of my head, the last time I remember people clapping um, at a a movie I saw, it had to be... um, I know it's going to sound weird, but possibly Rise of Skywalker got some claps. Um, It was either that or uh, perhaps Endgame. Uh, one of those whichever came more recently. Can't remember between the two. But um I always like that though, because it doesn't happen all the time. Whatever movie I'm watching, I just think it's cool when people start clapping at the end. Um and there is okay, so like there's a you can find this if you search uh podcasts. Uh I think the podcast is called The Director's Cut. And it's produced by the Directors Guild of America or something. Uh, oh. Hmm. And you can find this 30-minute episode. And Wave uh, did a screening in, in Southern California, um, maybe in September. And it the, the, the podcast is just a recording of uh, Christopher Nolan interviewing Denny after the, the screening. Um, and you get to hear that conversation. I, of course, I love that, listening to that, because it's it's my guys right there. Um, and during the discussion, uh, Christopher Nolan was asking him, you know, about what it was like working with um, uh, Hans Zimmer on the score. And Vinue was talking about how Hans... You know, he wanted to create like alien music that would sound alien to us, Um, you know, like create music, you know, obviously of a different world that supposedly Hans Zimmer invented some instruments um, that don't exist to add to the alienness of the music um, that he had never seen um, the original and... And avoided the original score because he didn't want to be tainted. Like he wanted to have his own original idea for his score. Um, hmm. And he also said that once Hans Zimmer started, you know, scoring it, that he couldn't stop. Like even after it was done, he's he's been making more music. Um, and I wow. think you can get that stuff on Spotify. Uh, like <laughs> like he has more music, like do music that he made that's not even in the movie um Should be saving it for the second part. <laughs> Beethoven was saying, and I think he he wasn't joking because he said uh, this. This interview was in September of this year. He said that Hans Zimmer is still sending him new Dune music because uh, <laughs> he can't stop. That's great. <laughs> uh, but I found it curious though because he talked about how Hans Zimmer wanted to be all original. He didn't want to get other influences. Because, I swear to God, there's one track on the soundtrack, and it's in the movie, where I thought it was an homage to the Toto's uh, score. And it has to be! It has to be! I can't be that crazy. So maybe he retroactively just stuck in that one bit, um, or something. Uh, If you listen to the soundtrack, it's the second to the last track. Um, If you're watching the movie... Um, it happens near the end. It happens. I want to say it's right after Jessica and Paul get on their still suits for the first time after the crash um and then they're just like walking off into the sun before- right before they meet the the fremen um well, yeah, just listen to the music and I swear it's a Hans interpolation of uh, of the Toto score, the iconic david lynch total score and that that made me light up in the movie theater because i felt like i was the only person getting that
0: yeah i am planning on rewatching that david lynch dune so maybe i'll maybe i'll see if i notice any any feelings there oh there's only one one, one more thing i was gonna ask um like have you heard a lot of opinions around the movie because when i was watching it and we, we went to go see it with a friend of ours who didn't know anything at all about Dune, hadn't read any of the books or seen any of the previous adaptations. And when we walked out, she definitely was having a lot of questions. Like She was like, there's a lot of that movie that I really enjoyed, but a lot of it that I feel like I did not get.
1: So I was just wondering if you had. I've only heard like opinions of maybe one or two people who I actually know. Um, who are not hardcore fans at all of sci-fi or Dune in particular, but I've, I've gotten a lot of what people's opinions are on YouTube and in critic reviews. Mm. I've, yeah, I've been exposed to a lot of that. So, um, just amongst just regular people I know, um, I just got the, oh, it looked really cool, but it was like really slow. Um, okay. Mm. Pretty basic. Um, with the critics and people on YouTube, it seems to me most people really, really liked it, whether they were big fans or not going in. Um, it seems like most critics thought it was a really, really good movie. Um, and then when you start getting into, like, the lower scores, it's pretty obvious. I mean, you already know what they're going to say. Um... Oh, yeah, this movie This movie was gorgeous. The cinematography, the costumes, the effects. But I never connected with any of the characters. Um, hmm. It sounds like even critics who weren't familiar with the source material necessarily, they did understand the plot. It didn't sound like too many people got lost. But, yeah, the ones who didn't like it just... They didn't connect with any of the characters. Um... Um, they felt like it wasn't necessarily the most compelling story ever, but again, it's, you know, you know, it's the first half, uh, the whole, um, yeah, some people, or, yeah, critics just felt like, um, the actors... They're all really good actors, but they're just following the script and they were just giving a hollow performance. I don't know how to put it in my words, um, what they, what the critics, those critical, what they thought. But, the, but those people were definitely the minority, because uh, mm-hmm. I've looked at a lot of opinions. And most were pretty positive to raving. Uh, most said, nice. like, you must see this at the theater. And I will say, too, since I've got to watch it at home... It is not the same at home. It is not the same. I mean, it's still cool and everything, but my gosh, it was definitely meant to be seen in IMAX. Um, yeah, and the sound design
0: completely built for a theater,
1: for sure. And, and I have I can listen on fancy headphones at home, which sort of makes up for the sound part, but on a on a home television, even if your television's sixty inches across. Um, It still comes across as, like, a really super slick series. Like, for instance, like, if you've seen Foundation, for instance, on Apple TV, like, it's one of the most expensive-looking sci-fi things that's ever been created for television. And when you watch that and then watch Dune on a a home television, you can't too much tell the difference um however if you saw both in the theater i think you'd see the difference and know that dune was the much more superior product um but it's hard to tell it on the home screen where it's smaller because i think if you saw foundation at the theater or imax you'd see how much more cgi there was um but on a home screen it's hard to tell that dune is bending over backwards to mask its cgi uh to make it look that much more real at the theater yeah all that stuff
0: came across as super well realized hell yes yeah I don't think there's any bad effects that i
1: that i could spot in it if i wanted to be hyper critical about the effects i did notice when i don't even know what it is the thing comes out of the out of the bay on caladan because i wasn't sure if that was a ship that was underwater or if it was just like a space pier that came out from under the water do you even know what that was and yeah those for
0: their giant like transport vessels okay see i wasn't sure if it was one of the, one of the vessels yeah when they were all heading up to like the guild freighter right
1: i wasn't sure if it was a vessel or if it was like a space pier that would like be like a landing dock for one of the vessels but anyway when i was watching it at home when it comes out of the water I, if i want to be super critical you those are cgi waves that are being created um but I that's just being mm. super nitpicky. Um, anyway, yeah,
0: that's yeah I mean, I'm I'm obsessed with water on screen. I can always tell with CGI water. Something about the way it moves. Just they can never quite get it right. At least not yet.
1: Well, it's been a while. Maybe I, maybe it wouldn't look the same if I saw it now. But I always thought the water, like in uh, the Pixar stuff, was out of this world. Like from Finding Nemo onwards. Yeah, I feel like you
0: can always tell that it's CGI, but... Oh, I guess just just before we finally jump into Annie Hall here... Did you see the teaser trailer for, uh, Lightyear?
1: (laughs) No. Is that, like,
0: Buzz Lightyear? Yes, the premise is that it's supposedly the real-life account of Buzz Lightyear, which inspired the toy in Toy Story. Except when you watch the trailer, it looks like it's set in, like, the far sci-fi future. Sounds like, that premise doesn't seem to make any sense.
1: (laughs) Oh. I think I saw some memes about it, and I didn't realize those memes are probably images taken from the trailer, which I had no idea until then. And I knew that movie was going to be made. Yeah, it just came out. But I had no idea the trailer was out and everything. Yeah, I think it was
0: like two days ago. I'll check it out. The CGI looks amazing. But I was like, really? Why didn't you just make this like a new thing? Or at least just call it Lightyear and not have any connection to the previous series but but uh anyway <laughs> well then no, no, they're,
1: they're gonna have to do like uh they're gonna have to do like a cgi gritty uh yeah,
0: unless you have any last words on Dune.
1: no not on doom but now they're gonna have to follow up Lightyear with a a gritty cgi spaghetti western version of like woody's like real life true story <laughs> yeah that'd be
0: great i think ennio morricone still kicking around They should gonna do the score Oh, that would be amazing, actually. <laughs> Alright. Alright! This is just a funny reference for you, because I know you're going to go see uh, Last Night in Soho eventually. When you go in, um, watch the movie, and then think at the end, somehow this fucking movie is rated PG in Canada. Okay. Like, I, I always think that the American rating system is cartoonishly absurd. Like, one fuck and it's an R. But you watch that movie and then think somehow that got a PG in Canada. It's unbelievable. <laughs> like, our rating system fucked up on that one.
1: I, I don't hardly understand the rating systems for anything. Uh, like yes. None of it makes sense. <laughs> um, but I will tell you, I am going to see the French Dispatch tomorrow, so... Ooh. Oh, boy. Can I am seeing you the next week. I'm ready. Can't wait. I'm ready. God, I am so against Sean and his... Um, and his uh, lack of love and appreciation for Wes Anderson.
0: Yeah, and there's a director who almost solely makes comedies. I don't think a single one of his movies hasn't been a comedy. And yet I love all of them. I, I find a lot of them really funny, too.
1: Oh, I, I what forgot. I, that's where you stood, because I thought you were kind of mixed, too, on Wes Anderson.
0: Nope, I haven't seen a single one I don't like.
1: Wow. I didn't. Uh, where did I. Why was I thinking that? You had a mixed opinion on him. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I love it. No, but I I get the criticism that people have on him. And by the way, yeah, I'm pretty sure we closed out. uh, Yeah. Hall. But anyway, um, I understand. uh, Because if you listen to Stupid Ball Brian, who... um, (laughs) who Sean listens to on the podcast, on, on the Film Vault. I don't listen to Ball Brian there. I listen to him on, on a different podcast. But, Ball Brian's, like, with Sean, which is, Wes Anderson's just pretentious. He just does things to be like, look what I can do. Um, <laughs> and that all his stuff is, like, the same stuff recycled over and over. It's the weird clothes. It's the weird aesthetic of, like, the '70s thing, but it's not the '70s. All the kooky characters, but okay, that all that stuff is what it is. I get it, mm-hmm. but I still think it takes a genius because you know, especially obviously in his newer stuff, it's it's a pop-up storybook that's come to life, is how mm-hmm. I see it. It's it, to me, it's like high art because it's everything it's the script it's the screenplay it's the acting it's the direction it's the cinematography it's the framing it's the dolly movements it's it's like it's everything and i love that's my favorite thing about film in general is when a movie is popping on on all aspects sound design like everything is just all coming together like a like a symphony orchestra um yeah i've always i've always thought of wes anderson as sort of like a kind of a
0: more interesting Andy Warhol. Where his movies are in a way kind of like pop art, where it's kind of a recycled era put into a movie. hmm But he's got such a great command of pace and super interesting, like, camera techniques. Like he's always calling back to old styles that you don't really see as much anymore. And I think
1: he also he gets deducted points for some reason because I think he makes it look too easy. Mm. And I know Cause like Sean brings up like, have you seen the uh, the SNL skit where they're doing like a Wes Anderson thing, like like, never, a, like a little parody? Never watch. It's like a little parody. It's like a it's like a Wes Anderson scream or something like that. And I get it, uh. and it's pretty funny, and they're making fun of like all his tropes and style and everything. And because it's Saturday Night Live, of course, it's like, look how easy this is, you know, that we can, but. It's easy to to copy his style, but he's still he's still on another level. <laughs> I don't know how to say it right. I don't know how to um, express it right through words. That it's easy for people to make facsimiles, but they never are as good as the original. But I don't think people are able to see that um, that the perfection that goes into the actual Wes Anderson. Um, visuals imitation. Yeah, or like people see the imitation and they think it's just as good, which is not true. And another thing that blows me away with any of the any of the Wes Anderson films is when you watch the little behind the scenes snippets and you see like how they pull things off, and I'm I'm always blown away. Um, cuz again, it does also make it look like it's simpler than it is, even though It's deceiving in that way when you watch behind the scenes. And. God, I don't know, like. I'm just amazed, like in Darjeeling Limited. I'm just amazed at the cinematography and editing of just the beginning when Bill Murray's character is trying to get to this train station in a hurry and he's in the taxi. Like, that's like as thrilling to me as, like, the damn French Connection car chase. And I'm just like. (laughs) how did they do this in india and it's like so crazy on location and i think they're just driving i'm not sure if they actually you know blocked off those roads or if they're literally just driving through real traffic but um i don't know that that did his movies do not get the damn credit and speaking of comedies um i consider fantastic mr fox one of the funniest movies i've ever seen God damn! That movie makes me laugh so much, and there's all different kind of jokes. A lot of it is just like the visual gags and humor, (laughs) and the way characters just make like weird expressions, kind of like how The Office is funny, um, with like reactions and things. Oh my god! God, that movie is so goddamn funny.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I tend to think of Isle of Dogs as his funniest, but maybe that's just me. I
1: like Isle of Dogs, but. It, it feels weirdly longer and more serious, which makes it less funny to me than, um, to me, Fantastic Mr. Fox is just tighter and straight to the point, mm-hmm. whereas Owl Dogs makes you think about things and makes you get up in your head a little bit more, which takes away from the humor a little bit.
0: Oh, that's fair. But, uh, but,
1: um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm pumped for the French Dispatch can't wait but um the last live action one he did i think that was um grand budapest like Mm. that movie like on paper like if you were just or seeing the trailer and wondering do i want to see this movie it's like what the fuck is this about like an old hotel in eastern europe like what the fuck is that and then when i actually see the movie i think it's fucking genius and i feel like because i also think that wes anderson is like like a, like certain other directors, like James Cameron, he's constantly building upon like his skill set, like as he does like his next movie, his next movie, and I feel like uh, Grand Budapest is almost like he's putting it all together, like things he learned from making previous movies. Um, I love how Grand Budapest uses at least three different uh, screen ratios. Uh, th- throughout mm. the movie, and each ratio corresponds to a different uh, decade or era in time. Uh, I just, oh my god, and how it mixes practical effects with special effects and blah 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 and models Stunning. and paintings and, and stuff. It's just got it all. Um, and god. I...
0: The command of pace to that movie I
1: think is just incredible.
0: Like, I think he's got it so tight it, it's just yeah masterwork
1: I think for him I think that's his best film yeah I do think so in a weird way because that's not my favorite but or I don't know what my favorite is but but it's probably the best as you just said
0: yeah and if, if you ever go back and watch uh, uh what uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula I feel like a lot of the same kind of playing with making a film uh, uh what's his name fuck I can't I'm forgetting. I'm so drunk <laughs> The Godfather director. Um, Rasmus Ford Coppola. Thank you. Yeah, he, he plays in the exact same way that um, Wes Anderson's playing in that film. Like, it's a very similar kind of testing himself as a filmmaker. It's not as tight, nearly, but a lot of the same, like, bringing back old techniques. Like, we even see some, like, genuine filming with silent film, like, in there. Like, there's, it's really cool kind of. Yeah. I feel like they work as almost well companion pieces.
1: I've always on. been aware of it. I mean, since that movie came out. Um, but I'm going to, ha- I've never watched it in modern times. Uh, I've only watched it in the VHS days. Um, and I, I don't even know, I don't even, I don't think I saw it at the movies. I think I only ever saw it on VHS, um, numerous mm-hmm. times, but, uh, one of these days I'm going to check out like the 4k or something and reevaluate it and see what I think now. Cause I have no idea what I would
0: think. Yeah. It looks beautiful in HD, really beautiful
1: and um yeah so i have high hopes for french dispatch because it looks very much like grand budapest i mean like in style Mm -hmm. and whims whims whimsiness or whatever but we'll see we'll see i will report back
0: yeah i'm almost a little nervous because it looks like it's such a gigantic cast i'm like i'm worried it's gonna be i don't know what (laughs)
1: i think it's interesting that it's coming out right now because Just like Dune and um, No Time to Die, you know, it was delayed from last year. Um, Mm. Like, it was all ready to go a year ago. Uh, I think it's interesting that it pulls from the cast of both Dune and No Time to Die uh, for French Dispatch. I'm looking forward to that.
0: (laughs) Just Jeffrey Ryder. Oh, yeah, I guess Christoph Waltz is in there. And... Um,
1: Paul Atreides
0: yep Timothy Chalamet and of course um, uh, Willem Dafoe popping up again which I'm always happy to see that guy
1: (laughs) um many people consider um, the ocean one to be the worst of the Wes Anderson movies Uh, Life Aquatic Mm. I don't know what I think is the worst but I quite like Life Aquatic um and some of my favorite things in that movie are uh, Willem Dafoe acting out of frame
0: <laughs>
1: throughout that movie. That shit cracks me up, like there's one where he's like talking to Owen Wilson and he's like, you know, I really consider you like my son, and Willem Dafoe's like somewhere in the background crying or something. God, that shit is so, I don't know why it's so funny, but it's so funny.
0: No, it's funny, absolutely. <laughs> He's great in that. Yeah, that whole movie I think is really fun. I don't. I don't get the hate. I've never seen the Darjeeling Limited. I always thought like that was the one that was considered the worst. I didn't realize that it was a Life Aquatic. I'm
1: pretty yet. sure it's Life Aquatic because people felt like yeah, like he was riding too high on his reputation in the moment, and they feel like yeah. he overextended himself on Life Aquatic, like high on his own supply. Um, uh, Darjeeling Limited is cool not only because of all the location shooting and everything and the whole India vibe the soundtrack is amazing it pulls he does like a Tarantino like uh he pulls snippets from Bollywood films classic Bollywood films and, like he like takes all these pieces of other soundtracks and puts it together and makes his own um, but also Darjeeling Limited as a story it is like a spiritual sequel to Royal Tenenbaums Um, oh oh, very much like if you know what happens in Royal Tenenbaums um, this is like this is totally like an epilogue or um, sequel uh, to like what would happen then if the father died and and how would it affect the kids that's like what Darjeeling Limits is all about Um, and you could imagine the Hackman character um, as being the father who's deceased <laughs> um, for Darjeeling Limited. Um, and then also, uh, there's another interesting aspect. There's a cameo by a famous actress in uh, Darjeeling Limited, and she's on screen for all of like three seconds um, in the movie. And for whatever reason, I don't know the backstory, but for whatever reason, um, I think he made this before he made Darjeeling Limited. But Wes Anderson made this short little film that's like 12 minutes long um, featuring that actress, and it ends up being like the prologue to the movie, but you wouldn't know it. You'd have to get like the DVD or Blu-ray or whatever, Uh, and it's cool to watch the little 12-minute short, and it's basically the prologue of the movie, Um, and it's cool to make those connections.
0: Yeah, I I would love to jump into some of this Wes Anderson stuff, because... Oh, buy- I've also never seen Bottle Rocket.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: Yeah, I've owned the DVD for years again, but... The Criterion? No, it's a Region 2 DVD. Oh. Yeah, I, I just found it in a, a pawn shop, and I was like, oh, I'll buy it. I've got a Region 2 DVD player. I've never seen I that. think he may be
1: the only director, not counting directors who only have one or two movies, um, he may be the only director, I think, that like has a Criterion edition of everything he's ever done. Uh <laughs> except for Isle of Dogs will be the next one, I guess. Because there there's always like a mm-hmm. like a four or five year delay for like the, yeah. the latest one. But it'll happen eventually. Um uh, but yeah, um Bottle Rocket is really good just to see the origins. But it's it's not it's not as low budget as Slacker, but <laughs> it's definitely you know Wes Anderson making a Wes Anderson movie like his starter film with very Mm. small budget it's definitely that Uh,
0: yeah maybe we'll break that out soon I know the next one that I want to do is anime the the second part of prisoners I think for uh Denis Villeneuve but yeah maybe sometime after that
1: so you're saying anime is like a spiritual sequel to prisoners is that what you're saying
0: uh, he he put them out in the same year, and that was what made me such a fan of his. Because it was like, oh, he made this really serious, kind of beautiful drama, and then this crazy art film, which is Enemy.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, we'll definitely watch that at some point, and we'll definitely. For some reason, I was unaware of your love for Wes Anderson until today. Um, really?
0: Hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, huge fan. Yeah.
1: Yeah, dude, I could easily go through all those movies easily sure i'd love it
0: <laughs> yeah i've always thought of him as more of a light-hearted tarantino where he does a very similar thing to tarantino but he's not as there's a certain smugness to tarantino like i think it works for him but he's certainly smug wes anderson's just kind of like playing in his little play shop doing his little his little movies that a lot of people don't really pay attention to but he's got his dedicated fan base
1: I think all these guys who are my favorite modern directors, it's my ongoing poor man's theory that, just like me and Scorsese as well, I mean, all these famous directors, um, they they all worship Kubrick, they all worship Bergman, and I know there's other, they have other influences, but those are the two big ones. And I always feel like all these newer guys... Are doing their interpretation of some kind of mixture of kubrick and bergman um well okay lucas and he's not doing so much bergman uh yeah he's more just
0: kurosawa like,
1: oh yeah um, well see that's another thing because kurosawa i've only seen like you know six of his movies but they're so japanese bergman-esque um, in a way Uh, But, yeah, that's a whole separate thing. I mean, I should include him as well, but it gets complicated, especially because I don't know all his breadth of work that well. Um, But so Wes Anderson, it's like, here's some Kubrick aspects and here's some Bergman aspects. And Spielberg, same thing. Nolan, same thing. Villanueva, same thing. Alfonso Cuaron, probably same thing. Um, But Kubrick is more... About the spectacle, um, and or the yeah, I think uh, Kubrick's
0: a painter at heart. And he paints for the cinematography.
1: It's that, but he it's also this idea of this maybe a story, but it's it's going to be subversive, and you're going to have to dig a little to get to the meat of it. Um, and all those directors play with that to different degrees um and then anything that gets into the drama side or introspection or dialogue or interplay that's all the bergman stuff uh to me uh and those guys, and how much those guys tap into that um is what that stuff is and yeah whatever and you, you see there's a movie that came out this year called uh bergman's island or whatever
0: no no, i did not see that was that like a straight to video type of deal no
1: no 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 it's like an art house film uh well i mean oh. it's like that type i mean they would play on that circuit it stars tim roth and somebody else um it's a female and i guess they're filmmakers or something and they're gonna go because you know bergman had his island in real life borrow no i didn't know that oh my god ugh. I don't know much at all about him. You have to know about him and then you see how his movies play into that. Because he's so influenced by his home country. And I mean like the geography and whatnot. Because he's uh, Swedish, right? I can't even think. and And you know where Sweden is on the map. And Sweden has a lot of islands. And is known for its islands that are off the coast. And... And Bergman, I don't know if that's where his childhood was, but he's such an island person. But literally and metaphorically. Because he likes to be isolated on his island, in real life. And he likes to be away from the mainland and not to be bothered. And that is a constant theme in so many of his movies, of a person metaphorically or literally being on an island. Um, And in real life, he acquired his own private island, which is called Faro. And From what I don't know what year till the end of his life, he mostly lived and worked on his island. And that's where he wrote all his movies, that's where he lived. Whenever he was involved with someone romantically, it was on Faro Island. And so in this new movie, these fictional characters go to Faro Island to I guess see if they can get some inspiration or something. Um and my understanding is They end up having like a a Bergman-esque type situation while they're on on the island. (laughs) I'll watch it. I mean, I'm not watching it tomorrow, but I'll definitely check it out and see what it's all about.
0: Yeah, I just saw this actor that I like that's in it. Uh, Mia Wasikowska? I don't know how to say her name, but she's an actor I, I quite enjoy. Um, she was in Crimson Peak and played Alice in the Alice in Wonderland movies, but she was also in this great Cronenberg movie, his last recent movie, I should say, called Maps to the Stars. You ever heard of that?
1: I have not.
0: Yeah, it has a fantastic performance by Julianne Moore. Uh, Robin Pattinson shows up in it. I'm I'm definitely going to pull this one out for you at some point, because I feel like...
1: I can't believe how old Julianne Moore is right now. Yeah, she's getting old. That's insane. That's crazy. Cause she never looked that old. I mean, even 20 years ago, she didn't look like her actual age. Uh, interesting.
0: No, but I was going to say, I feel, like, I feel like there's a lot of Cronenberg that maybe you don't really know too much about.
1: Oh, there's tons. What are you talking about?
0: <laughs> yeah, because he, in his later life, he just turned to like a straight art film director. Like, he wasn't worried too much about like plot necessarily. It was just like, I'm just going to make this art film. No. And I... that's the. That's one of my favorite stuff from him.
1: I know very little about Kronberg, uh, I assure you. <laughs> hmm.
0: Yeah, I'll pull some of that out for it because I think you'd really, really enjoy it. But yeah, the only flavored uh, spirits that I remember enjoying, at least in recent years, was uh, this tamarind flavored vodka. Is vodka kind of a spirit?
1: Are you kidding me? What are you talking about? Does it count? course it counts yeah
0: yeah, for whatever reason i don't think of it as a spirit but it it is that tamarind vodka i got it in mexico oh it's so good oh man
1: i don't know what else it would be it's one of the basics and gin is made out of is gin is the original flavored liquor it's flavored vodka actually the original never had tamarind anything i mean uh liquor um, yeah, I've only seen in Mexico. You were in Mexico when you
0: got that? Yep. In fact, I was planning on buying another bottle when we went back. Because we usually go every year, me and my, my partner. But, of course, we couldn't go because of COVID. Why do y'all go to Mexico every year? Well, is cheap. It's like three grand vacation. You can go stay at an all-inclusive. And free booze, basically. And, you know, you sit by the beach for like seven days. Just a nice little way on unwind.
1: Where in Mexico?
0: Uh, a couple different places. Um, we went to Xtapa a couple times, and uh, oh, how do I say the other one, Porta Bayorta? I have not heard of Stapa. Yeah, Xtapa was pretty cool. We, we went to this resort right next to like this big crocodile reserve, and if you'd like walk around in the little park areas around, the crocodiles would just be like sitting on the path, like, uh, this is my path here. So I really enjoyed that. <laughs> but the other place we go to is a lot less hot.
1: How do you spell Stapa? I've, I've never heard of uh, that. Uh, I think it's
0: IX. Oh, uh,
1: I see it. Xstapa.
0: Yeah, I never, I'd never heard of it. My my partner went there when she was a kid, and now whenever I go get to go get oranges, I always see made in or grown in Xstapa on them. So I'm
1: like, oh, there you go. Orange juice, you said?
0: Yeah, uh, just oranges, like the the produce department. Oh, just oranges. It's all
1: those little things you don't you don't notice until you you know the place so that's on the edge of the state Michoacan which I have heard of the state that is one of the, the states that is really violent but also has um, a lot of indigenous people as well hmm. but I mean I've never been there and yeah, then Puerto Vallarta uh-huh. I don't
0: remember I think it's Jalisco is the state that Puerto Vallarta is in that's one that we go to now the resort over in there I think it's world of camera yeah
1: you're right it is in Jalisco yeah world of cameras pretty good they have great shows at that that resort interesting I mean cuz like a lot of places you're going around like on the west coast of Mexico I guess most people here go more on the east coast more I mean from where I am if they go to Mexico for vacation
0: yeah we always try to pick shorter flights because I can't stand flying it drives me crazy mm-hmm. so I try, try to like max out at like eight hours at the most mm-hmm Interesting. I don't remember you ever bringing that up. Yeah, I've been missing it. Been missing it hugely. I I love going there every year. Oh man. Hopefully, twenty twenty two, COVID will lighten up a little bit, and it'll be a little bit safer to travel.
1: Yeah, I've never been one for vacations, ever, especially in my adult life. I just, I don't know. It's weird. I don't think about it. I don't ever. I don't know. I feel like I got like. I feel like I did all my traveling in my late teens, early 20s, and I got it out of my system or something. Even though it was mostly all in the United States, it wasn't overseas or anything, but I still felt like I got it out of my system. Yeah, I just love the being
0: on vacation, not ever, about, not ever thinking about work or any sort of responsibilities. Getting drunk all day long. <laughs> it's just like my dream.
1: Never been one for getting drunk or intoxicated all day long, <laughs> but for me, if I just drove... An hour or an hour and a half out of the city, I felt like I, I got away already. Like, mm-hmm. like, like my problems seemed far away just by getting out of the city. Yeah, I also always loved it because
0: it was an excuse to sit down and write. Because I'd work five days a week and I never had any time to write. So going on vacation would always be kind of the splurge. where I'd get it all out. Oh uh, yeah. Never... But now I don't work. Now I work from home, so I can just do all the writing that I want. So.
1: I've never been a writer. Never at all. Um, except when I was in college, I would write stupid poems during class. But nothing substantial. And just because. Yeah, I always wish I could get poetry. <sighs> I don't know what there is to get. Again, I'm not a poet or anything. Like, I don't know. To me, poetry almost felt like lazy writing. Because <laughs> you could just write whatever words and. doesn't have to all make sense or I don't know well even though I put a lot of thought into it sometimes I don't know how much you can tell between the ones I put a lot of thought into and the ones I didn't put a lot of thought into but again I'm not a poet never have been the wrong person to talk about that